Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, if you want to know, you'll look a whole lot better in candlelight. You can just write that down if you want. Beautiful worship service. Thank you. Well, Luke wants you to understand from the very beginning of this gospel that, that uh, we've got some big things going on. He, he wants to historically lodge the story. He wants to embed it in time and place. And so we have some pretty definite detail about what's going on politically and who's rulers of the earth and how God might actually be working through, well, Gentile people to get God's will done. So we hear at the very beginning of the chapter that uh, uh, Caesar Augustus is the emperor and that Quirinius was ruling over Syria. So we have date and we have time, but we also know some things about what he might be saying about this baby that's being born in comparison to the most powerful man on the face of the earth at the time, the emperor. You see, at this point in the history of the empire of Rome, you might make a pretty good argument that this is the pinnacle. This is actually about as good as it gets. During his lifetime, he has consolidated authority down into himself. He had just been named before this story breaks and begins its telling. He had been named Caesar. He had started out his, his rule with two other uh, cohort, with two other folks, but he had managed to wrest their authority to himself. And so we have an emperor who has just been given the title of savior of the world. There is still a statue of him with that em emblazoned on the bottom. Savior of the world. Interesting. And here's this baby being born. Not in, a, not in any kind of castle, not in a palace, but in a stable. And we have people being told that are more than surprising if you've ever won, or if God has a sense of humor. I always point to this story as an example, and we'll get to that in a second. We have a surprise coming to these shepherds. And I gotta tell you, good surprises I like. Not a big fan of bad surprises, but good surprises are really a gift. They're life-changing, or they can be life-changing. I remember when my wife looked at me across the kitchen table and said, we're gonna have a baby. And for sure, life changed. Never been the same since then. But I also know what it's like to have just a surprising gift dropped into your lap that was not deserved or earned, but it was just given. And what can happen? In 1986, I'd been a pastor for about six years. Well, not quite six years, but about five. And Bishop Eitrim, who was the Bishop of South Dakota at the time, and his associate, Ray Ng, wanted to put my name in to uh, for a trip that was going to be put together by the American Lutheran Church in which I was serving. And they were going to be going into the Soviet Union on a peace trip. It w I would be gone for 30 days, and it was the first time in my entire life that I was a category. I was the upper Midwest white male pastor. 
And so I said, yes, my wife and I had talked about it, and I, I came in second. Well, that was that. And so I knew I wasn't going, and I returned to my life, my ordinary life, now filled with the birth now of a fourth child, and a church that was beginning to grow, and learning about what that meant for me as this young pastor. Well, then Chernobyl happened, and there was a meltdown, and the, the trip that w they were supposed to take got canceled because of the radiation exposure. And so truthfully, I'd forgotten all about it. And a year had passed, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the bishop calls and says, would you like to go, would you like to go to Russia? Well, didn't have a passport. I now had four children. I had to go tell my wife that she would be in charge of kids for a little more than a month all by herself. She was delighted like no other to hear that. <laughs> she did inform me that I didn't get it wrong. It was actually 33 days that I was gone. And I had to tell her that when we went behind the Iron Curtain, it was not just a metaphor, it was in fact reality. From the time that I stepped into the Soviet Union, I would not be able to communicate with her. All those days, those weeks, we would be cut off. Got permission from my church council and the congregation, checked with my older kids, and away I went. And I cannot tell you what an amazing transformation that was for me. Everywhere we went, from Finland to Estonia to Moscow to Warsaw to Dresden to Leipzig, everywhere we went, here were Christians that to say Jesus' name out loud meant that it cost them in a very real way, that their children may not get to go to college, that their food might not arrive when it was supposed to, that promotions were either not going to come or they would come very, very slowly. And more than once I heard the story about the knock on the door that came in the middle of the night and people were just taken and they never came home. And to sit and listen and be a part of these faith communities as they talked about what it meant to follow Jesus in a place where it was costly, which was certainly not my world, was transformative and how we could speak into their world that they found it to be helpful, and how words and actions on our part actually reverberated through their worlds, and that we could actually make their world better by how we spoke and how we acted. It was transformative, but it was just a flat-out gift, unexpected, unearned, undeserved. So let's get to the shepherds. I just love those guys. They're sitting around a campfire. It's cold. They're not happy. This is the lowest rung of the Jewish community. You really couldn't get much lower than shepherds. My favorite part of this entire story is that within the Jewish community, shepherds were not allowed to testify in court. There was a rule that shepherds couldn't speak there because everyone knew, everyone knew that they lied all the time. So why would God choose shepherds to be the first apostles, the first bearers of the good news? There they are around the campfire, uneducated, illiterate, stinky, 
If you don't think they were stinky, well, let's take a little short stop. They didn't have gates on their little paddocks that they put the sheep in at night. The lowest shepherd in the group had to sleep in the doorway where all the sheep went in and out. Guess what you smell like? Oh yeah, they're a fun bunch. And then all of a sudden in the midst of their life, here comes an angel with this amazing, unbelievable story that there is a child that's been born, the one that we've been waiting for. And what's the title? Savior of the world. Savior of the world. And you're going to find him in a stable wrapped in swaddling cloths, which was no big help at all, but the help comes. You're going to find him lying in a manger. Well, now we've got something. That's outside the norm. And so here we have this holy baby in a rundown, beat up stable lying in a manger. One of my favorite descriptions from Martin Luther is talking about that manger, that it was a holy manger, not because of how it was built or how it had been adorned, as he went into very vivid de detail on what might be residing on that manger, certainly drool from animals, but broken boards and bent nails. But it was a holy manger because it was holding the baby named Jesus, Savior. And so after the choir had gotten done, here are the shepherds. Not the same anymore, right? You don't experience that without having your life transformed. And so these wild and crazy shepherds go charging back into Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is built along a ridge and it's built down the slopes then off, the, off that ridge. And it's, it's a place where your, your house is on top and then down below that, most people had stables just like we hear in this story. And so here is this stable holding this holy family. And I always think about the shepherds. Did they have to go door to door? Certainly the cops had to be called at some point that time knocking on door, do you have a baby down in your basement? Do you have a baby here? And then finally finding the Christ child. And then sharing the story of what had happened to them. And then they go and become the very first apostles. As they move back into that same city, which normally on any given day, but now in the middle of the night, they are bringing good news to the world. The last time I preached on Christmas Eve was at prison here in Sioux Falls. Bob Chell was the pastor and he had invited me. Christmas Eve was, was on a Thursday night. And so my wife and I went and, and he had invited me to preach. And as I was reading the gospel, I looked up and realized that here in front of me were, were all the shepherds. Because here's all the people that we've packed away and we don't want to think about them and we certainly don't want to sit by them. And they are the people that we just want them to not be around, right? And as I preached that night, I wanted them to hear and understand that the good news was for them. It was for them. And that the angel had come 
for them. And that the invitation was that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their world and know that Christ, in fact, was the Savior of the world, and it was coming to them as a gift, not deserved or earned or in any way that they could pay for, but here it was, just given. And I think about those shepherds as they went back down that hill after that night had happened, and as the sun was probably dawning and they had to go back to their life. It was still the same life. They were still going to be at the bottom of the economic run. They were still going to be despised by the community. But I always think about them as never being the same. But those shepherds went back as transformed people because they had encountered the holy and had taken it into themselves. This gift that comes to us in Jesus Christ, him crucified and raised from the dead, bringing the gift of forgiveness of sins of life eternal and life in him, and most importantly, life abundantly. And as I shared with those men in prison some years back, it was my hope and prayer that as they went back to their cells, still prisoners of the state, still doing their time, that they went back as people that were also holy because they had encountered the holy in Jesus Christ, that they had been fed at the table and sent back into their world to share the good news. So on this Christmas Eve, I want you to hear that Jesus Christ came for you, that he came for you. Not that you deserve it or have earned it, but that the gift is for you. And there's an invitation then that comes from Jesus Christ for you to go and share the good news in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, that you live out the forgiveness of sins that we ourselves experience and that you share that abundant life with the world that certainly needs to hear it. So God's blessings to each one of you on this Christmas Eve, that the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is here for you. Amen.